0: it's my first time. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Brenda. You are listening to Psycho Therapist. I'm your host, Renee. I'm here with Josh. Hi, Josh. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Thanks for that. Oh, thank you. Okay. So, Let's see. Um, Before we start, just a reminder that the Psychotherapist podcast is not actual psychotherapy. I am a licensed therapist. Wait, what? (laughs) I do perform actual psychotherapy, but let's remember that this is a podcast. So this is for entertainment and education purposes only although it does look and sound a lot like therapy. It does look and sound almost exactly like therapy does with me, but there is no confidentiality, and Josh is here, so it's a little bit different. Uh, We are going to talk to Brenda, but not immediately. There is quite a lot to talk about with Brenda, so I won't take too long um, prattling on here before we start. I did want to answer a question that came in during an Instagram Q&A from Gina. Gina wanted me to explain the difference between a trauma response and intuition. I'm going to answer a slightly different question, which is, in essence, the same question, which is, what is the difference between anxiety and intuition? Because I am assuming, Gina, because I know you, that the trauma response to which you are referring is anxiety. So the difference between anxiety and intuition is relatively simple, which doesn't make it easy to suss out. Let's just um, cover anxiety for a minute. To remind you, anxiety's job is to tell you that you have to do something that you haven't done that you aren't doing or feel something you're not feeling. So anxiety has a job, all negative emotions do. It comes up to flag to you that there's an action you need to take or a feeling you need to make contact with. That's what it's for. As a result, anxiety is activating, right? You sort of can't sit still when you're anxious. You feel like you want to do something, and, and we generally do. The problem is that usually we aren't doing the thing that the anxiety wants, but rather something that we think is going to make the anxiety go away, which is somewhat of a fool's errand until you answer it. But anyway, that's anxiety, right? Comes up to tell you to do or feel something, and as a result, it is activating. This is a lot like anger. We've talked about this before, that the reason anger brings so much heat with it is because you need that heat to be motivated to change boundaries in the face of what is most often uh, relational interpersonal resistance because people don't want the boundaries changed. You need to be a little heated to do it, and that's why anger is so fiery. Likewise, anxiety is activating. Intuition is not activating. So with intuition, there may be dread or sadness or some, some feeling that is a little bit destabilizing, but it will not be activating because that's the whole point with intuition, you know. There isn't anything to do. You aren't going to be able to change the outcome. Intuition doesn't bring with it that same feeling of, I can't sit still. There's something that needs to be done. I need to make this go away. Again, it doesn't have to be pleasant. You can certainly have an intuition about something bad that's going to happen, Lots of us have had those. But if you think back to a time when you had an intuition and you know that now because the thing that you seem to be intuiting did happen, if you think about that, you'll notice that the flavor of the feeling is slightly different. Like anxiety is squirrely. Right. As we've said, it makes you want to do things. It's motivating you. So it, it travels around your body. You can have it in your gut. You can have that deep gripping anxiety in your core. And then there's generally also, you know, a heart racing, a pulsing feeling, a tingly feeling, things like that. Intuition is a deeper settled feeling. Right. It isn't traveling it's generally in one spot. And I think that that's the best way I can explain it. While you can have anxiety, you know, I think about the times when I've woken up with anxiety, right in that, like right in your solar plexus. And while it feels localized, it's amorphous, you know, it's sort of a pulsing energy. Whereas intuition is a much more settled, low is the word I keep wanting to say, whereas anxiety is high, intuition is low. And that's not those words don't necessarily make sense here. They feel right. But I think some of you are going to know what I mean. The most, the easiest way to say this is that anxiety is activating, whereas intuition is settled, right? And these are not black and white experiences. You can have both of those things come together, and you can certainly have intuition that brings with it some unsettled feeling. And you can have anxiety that's co-occurring with intuition. But if we're looking at them distinctly, if you're trying to decide if it's something you need to take action on... Generally, if you're feeling as if you do, you do. Intuition is not directing you to do that. It's generally directing you to accept, to make peace, to prepare, but not to do. If that doesn't make sense, let me know. If you have questions, send them to Instagram or send them to us here at the podcast. Hopefully that does make sense. I'm not making any promises because... We didn't talk to a guest before we taped this intro, and so I'm not warmed up. It makes me a little clumsier in the mouth. But hopefully that made sense, and if it didn't, please let me know. And with all of that said, let's talk to Brenda. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Good. Well... I am just going to let you start wherever you want. And I know that we are going to do some trauma talk and you mentioned some codependency stuff. Why don't you tell me if you were coming to therapy, what would be the first thing you'd want to talk about?
1: Okay, so um, just uh, I'm a little background. I'm, I'm a 39-year-old female I uh, live in Miami, unmarried, um, Sagittarius sun, and moon. Um, what was moon that? What, and... Did you say you have a sun? No, no, no. Oh. Um, a Sagittarius <laughs> sun. Oh, a Sagittarius.
0: <laughs> Thank you for telling me Sagittarius sun. And then you were going to tell me the moon. Great. Uh, Sag, uh, oh, wow. moon, wow. and Virgo rising. Oof. Okay. My moon <laughs> is also Sag um that's a lot of Sag yeah and then Virgo rising that's interesting okay 39 year old you live in Miami you're married you do not have kids and unmarried oh you unmarried sorry you (laughs) unmarried no kids and whom do you live with uh my mom okay is she healthy or are you taking care of her
1: um taking care of her. Okay. She's not bedridden or anything, okay. but you know, we do have some codependency issues okay. <laughs> that we'll get will get to. I'm okay, sure.
0: okay. <laughs> okay. What else do you want to tell me about your current situation?
1: Um, so I'm just feeling a bit stuck.
0: Okay. Um
1: I I was actually born in New Jersey. Oh really? And yeah, and I lived there um till I was twelve. Both, with my both parents, and everything was great.
0: Were you the only child
1: of that marriage? Yes, okay. My okay. father has four other okay. children
0: who came before you
1: um, two sisters with one mom, two brothers with another mom, and me.
0: Okay, got it. All right, all right. So, until you lived with them, you lived in Jersey till 12, lived with, with your parents, everything started out okay. Yes, yeah. okay.
1: And then I was sent to Colombia at
0: twelve. The country? <laughs> yes. For what In the nineties. Oh In my the nineties. Oh, because you were running drugs at twelve. I see. Obviously. I see. Okay. I you, mean, had a, you had a prostitution and coke ring at twelve. That makes sense. It. That makes all sense. Of it. Why Colombia? I mean, What's going on? Well, the thing is, they're
1: both Colombian, okay. so I'm first generation. Okay. Um, and you know. It, Outwardly, the excuse was, Brenda's 12, she's listening to Wu-Tang, and she's listening to, she's a gang member, you know? Um, Wu-Tang's for the children! I mean, obviously, you know? Uh,
0: so, they're like, we gotta send her off, we can't well, lose her. Obviously, child. right. Yeah. It's a lateral move from Wu-Tang to Colombia, though. I don't think they got that Obviously. Far.
1: <laughs> and, that, and it doesn't end there. Not only did I not end up in Bogota, which is the capital, I ended up in the tiny little bonfuck town, three hours away from Bogota, where there's nothing. Oh,
0: my. But <laughs> at 12 years old. At 12. Coming from Jersey. So, it's a little bit yeah. different.
1: In a way, it was presented to us as... My father's gonna retire in a few years. Um, it just makes sense for the family. He'll be able to save some money, we'll have a better um, we'll just better have better income, we'll have like a, a better life, right? Okay. Yep. I wasn't consulted, obviously. <laughs> it's no, like no, you're I gonna t- go. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna go and you're gonna go. And it was completely traumatic for me because I was going into the eighth grade oh, with my God, that's from- the
0: worst time. That's the worst possible time, Brenda. I'm so yeah. sorry. Okay. Right smack um, in the middle of middle school.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, unbeknownst to me, I mean, we kind of knew there was a lot of like domestic things happening at mm-hmm. home
0: mm-hmm. with my
1: parents, but, uh, I later found out that he was really living. He shocked up with his, um, the, the person he's always had an affair with, oh. um, so we were sent to Columbia, my mom and I, and he just stayed
0: behind with her and I see.
1: Yeah. So uh-huh. <laughs> that's a big thing right there. Yeah, um, you so think? Yeah.
0: When did that he, come to the surface? When did you know that?
1: Um, so I kinda had an inkling, but at 15 he he told me I could come and he he made me stay with my aunt and uncle, which I thought was weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very then, weird. A couple years later, I guess they told someone told my mom, like, Oh, yeah, I've seen Luis around with you know, uh-huh. that other lady and whatever. So it's never been completely addressed, okay, in terms of like, you know, hey, I like I'm only now getting to the part where I'm like, Oh, shit, I was abandoned,
0: right? Like, that
1: yes. is 100% abandonment, absolutely,
0: um, it is absolutely,
1: and you know because it was always under the facade that he was doing something for
0: us right he was sacrificing right. himself right. yep
1: he was waking up at 6 a.m. to go in the in the sun in the rain in the in the snow to go work for his family um so you know i go from being like this person in my community this child in my community where I remember seeing people coming from Colombia or whatever, and I already had like an established role. I, I was bilingual by then, you know, like right, I don't right. remember learning a language. I was just born that way yes, basically in my right, head. Right, right. right. <clears throat> but, you know, my mom doesn't speak English properly. Uh, You know, she didn't really have the resources back then, or, you know, it was just a difficult transition for right, her. So she right. probably saw it as, well, I'm gonna have, be with my family, and this way, I don't have to like really live through all this, um, you know, abuse with 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 right, my dad.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So, um, yeah. So I'm in Colombia, and kids automatically hate me, of course. Uh, of course, I'm, bu- I'm bullied, and uh, I look. Pretty native american so of course it's like it wasn't cool or trendy back then right, <laughs> it was right. definitely like you are you are you're supposed to be green and you look the way you look and you act the way you act and right. you know so we have to be like super mean to you and like yeah the drawings and the you know all yeah, the nasty stuff. yeah 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 so i'm stuck living this life where I'm just like,
0: I can't wait to turn 18. So you were there all through high school, Brenda? Yeah. Okay. So just to pause for a moment, that means that all of your identity formation was happening at a time when you didn't have a stable social community, which basically means that it wasn't really happening, right? Because in order to develop your identity, you need people to reflect things back to you. So this sounds like it was a pretty difficult way to go into that stage. Exactly. And the people that are
1: looking at you are like, you're reflecting
0: back that you're just different right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you don't belong you don't belong so that's what you're having reflected back to you is you don't fit and I'm like fine I don't want to fit yeah right good to go back to
1: the states.
0: yeah yeah. (laughs) you know yes like
1: fuck this place (laughs) um so yeah so as I turn 18 and things my dad finally moves down and of course he wants to retake his 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 role of the macho in the house right yep yep,
0: of course um
1: so you know he abandoned the shit that he did and then he's like oh well you have to be this way you have to be at home by nine you have to so that independence that I had fought for and gotten with my mom when my dad came at 17 he's like oh hell no like not 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 in my time right yeah so again he robbed me of that last year of high school where we're all just kind of fucking being fuckheads and going out and doing and drinking and doing all the stuff that you do I didn't get to do that again right Mm, so okay so when he when I finally turned 18 I was like okay it's time for me to move back and my mom's like well I can't stay with this shithead yeah so (laughs) you know so I'm like okay mom let's go like you know say less so You know, my mom has been my mom, my sister, like all of these different roles because we have left an abuser and, you know, all this stuff, right? Yes. So I get back to New Jersey and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to just retake that role again, you know, like my dad's not here, but everything's fine. So all our friends all the community that I grew up really loving and like going to school with kind of moved on. And I hadn't, I was just like, uh, what happened? Yeah. When I left, we were all listening to Wu-Tang and now people are <laughs> listening to Backstreet Boys and like bullshit. That's so, a
0: terrible change too. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was like, what happened, Jersey? Um, So yeah, basically I'm back in Jersey. I'm living with my mom. Things are difficult, you know, we're starting we had we had to work really hard and you know all this stuff to just be on a a float you Mm -hmm. know um and she's back to a society a a country that she doesn't speak the language that she has limited limited resources so I'm the one pulling a lot of the weight right the translation of it the just the brunt force of anything that was happening right. for her. I had to come in and kind of curate the information. Yes,
0: right, right. Which is a lot of pressure. The other thing I just want to toss in here, since you were so generous in giving me your astrology to start out, is that Sagittarius <laughs> is not having any of this. Sagittarius Mm-mm. just wants to do what it wants. That's like Sagittarius's whole thing is like, I do what I want. Not in a way that, like, I'm not trying to hurt anybody else, but I'm also not super concerned if you're not into what I'm doing. And so for somebody who if if you feel this in yourself, astrologically, it would suggest that you would want to live in a way that was infinitely more independent and free than the way that you're living. So sounds like it could have been even a little bit of an extra burn. Right. Yeah. 100
1: percent. It was overwhelming. I I mean, the pressure. Um, So, you know, a couple years of that and. I'm rebelling, I'm drinking, I'm going out, I'm having, you know, all these things of like, well, you guys are gonna let me enjoy. So now I'm gonna do this. I'm having my first relationship. I have all these abandonment issues and father issues. So I'm picking men who are
0: very similar
1: to my dad. And I don't even want to get started on the whole shame part of sex with Colombian women.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. (laughs)
1: Where it's like a monetary transaction. It's transactional. Maybe I do
0: know about this because I have an uncle who frequents Colombia for this very reason, but other people may not be up on this. So can you just give people who are listening a little bit of insight into that part of, uh, Colombia, Colombian culture? Yes.
1: So, um, because it's so structured in the patriarchy and the bullshit of like colonization. It's basically like, oh, you like our women? We're exotic. We're yep. this, we're that. Yep. We don't have money, so we're going to go ahead and have, you know, and, and be the other woman, and exactly uh, right. you know, yes. be uh, we need money. We need some type of status, some type of protection. Yes. So among women, we 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 battle each other exactly. for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Because the limited resources and, and the, because we yep. have.
0: Yep the resources, right?
1: Yeah. And because we have men who are just willing to, you know, they have their dollars. So if you right. go there and you're spending in pesos, like exactly. it's a win-win for yes. everyone.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's so, hence, the, like I said, hence the reason my uncle spends a lot of time there. Um, And this is not a quiz for you, Brenda. This is a quiz for other podcast listeners. Brenda just told us that Because of her father and her relationship with her father, she tended to pick men who were... What were the words that you used? What kind of men were you finding yourself drawn to? I don't know if I said emotionally Um, unavailable. Emotionally unavailable. Fair enough. Perfect. There's a phrase for this that I've talked about a bunch for what happens when our psyche pulls us toward toward someone who will reenact a trauma dynamic for us. And it is called... I'm just giving everybody a chance to guess at home. Josh, do you remember? I'm not at home. (laughs) 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 Fucking wise-ass. Open Gestalt! It's an Open Gestalt. Okay, so you're picking... Josh, you fail. You just fucking fail. You're here every week. I was leaving it for the listener. Yeah, sure you were, you bum. Okay, so, Brendan, now you're dating men who are emotionally unavailable because your psyche is attempting to, you know, close up the wound of having an unemotionally available dad by somehow positioning you so that you can win over an emotionally unavailable man, which, of course, is not how this generally happens. So, yeah. right. So, were you in long-term relationships? Were you doing like casual dating? What did that look like?
1: Oh, man. Uh, it's just it just sounds like I just wrapped it up at 19 and kind of realized what I was doing and then, you know, yeah. no. no. It takes so many experiences.
0: Yes. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, really been there. Back. Been there. Yeah.
1: Um, so what really I think the catalyst to it were a ton of little experiences that when they left me I would completely collapse
0: when the just, when the partners would leave yes and do you mean when, when the they partners... would leave permanently or when they would just leave to go to work or f- away for the oh weekend? no no okay. permanent permanently. permanently okay,
1: okay. yes so you know um it began very the intense highs the yeah. oh my god where have you been what uh, you know I the, can't, the, I, the stress I, I, hormone
0: cycle yep, yep yep yes Yep.
1: um the love bombing from yep. both sides and then it would become this whole thing of like but wait are you the trust issues would come up and then I would do my song and dance with you know the fighting and the bickering and then that person would just suddenly say, you know what, I'm going to go back to my ex. <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> that happened quite
1: a few times.
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, then I would be left picking up the pieces. So and let's
0: pause on this bit for one second. You, you said it often it happened to you more than once that you had a partner who went back to his ex. And so mm-hmm. just with the little information that we have, it would my first guess about that would be That because you were in this open gestalt, as you've just identified, where you were drawn to emotionally unavailable men and where there was also a piece around sex and shame, around sort of being owned (laughs) by men or being used by men. So it sounds to me likely that you would have been drawn to men who were maybe stepping out on their partners, right? Like people who weren't really looking for a commitment with you. Is that was that the case?
1: Well it was basically like, Oh, I'm, I'm I'm you know, we're ending the relationship or I've been single for a month right. kind of thing. Right.
0: right. Um So people so who they're not really a position to be in a real exactly. relationship. Right, right. Okay. Exactly.
1: And so they I was yeah. taking I was taking their their um face value, their words yes. face value. Right. So right. yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So that's happening a lot. And you, you brought up also the phrase, uh, the term abandonment earlier. And this is a thing that I think happens to a lot of us is that if we're abandoned by a parent as a child, which you most certainly were, then we tend to experience fractures in adult relationships as abandonments, which is very confusing because, in fact, adults can't be abandoned by adults. But the emotional experience... Is the same. We feel very much like we've been abandoned, and it tends to trigger the same emotional experience as having been abandoned by a parent. So, every one of these mini breakups was pretty painful. Then.
1: Oh yeah, super Deeply. painful. Yeah, I yeah. have to. I have to go back because there was a, a big part. Oh um, yes, please. That, that that I didn't. Um. So when I came, when I went to Colombia, I had a dog. So it's basically like um, this. I, I kind of translated to all my friends are having little brothers. I was born to parents that are already older, <laughs> geriatric in a way. Yeah. And um and so I was given a dog. Okay. Coco. Coco. So my dog, yeah, Coco went to Colombia and he had it even worse than me. I mean, in the nineties in Colombia, a dog
0: <laughs> yeah. was like they right. got
1: treated like, like shit. So yes. this poor dog is with me through the whole thing. And as we're leaving, my dad uh, found a farm nearby to send Coco off to oh, because we were leaving.
0: Yeah.
1: I wasn't told. Um. So when I got home and I see that he's missing, I had a feeling that that's what happened. But I kept telling myself, all I need to do is get to Jersey settle myself up and then I can come pick him up. Uh Well, I never settled myself up.
0: Right, right.
1: And this is the part where it's like uh, there's a lot of guilt and very, like, so much shame um, and pain around. Okay. And I can talk about pretty much anything. but I hear you Um, getting
0: choked up when you're talking about this and I know it might seem a little strange to other people on the backdrop of all of these other things that have happened. There's something about the pet relationship and the pet loss that can be a lot harder than the other types it can be a lot harder than human loss because it's kind of disenfranchised not everybody understands how deep it is and so you know if you lose a parent you lose a sibling you lose a partner you lose a friend people are ready to provide support people are ready to empathize and tell you how hard it is and share their own experiences and ask what you need but maybe 20% of the people you'll encounter understand that it's it's just that hard with an animal so there aren't there isn't as much support just are in the environment, which is what grief needs. And then also there's this relationship we have with animals is so different. You know, it's tactile. We touch them differently. We show parts of ourselves to our animals we don't show to other people. And then for you with Coco, you two were in this horrible traumatic experience, both of you victimized in different ways within it. And so I would imagine there was a really strong bond there too. And so this sounds incredibly painful and without the framework to support your pain and your grief right so it's still there yeah yeah yeah
1: and it's like that part of death that i haven't really come to terms with where it's like if i don't see it then maybe somewhere in my head he still exists out there and mm-hmm. he's still waiting for me to get it
0: together mm-hmm. yeah uh, okay let's take a break here brenda you already have it together And I think this is a good place for everybody to take a break and do some breath work. Let's get back into our bodies. So if you can, put both your feet on the floor and sit up straight, as straight as is comfortable. And we are going to do pranayama breathing. So just a reminder, that is in through your nose, hold out through your mouth. Unlike box breathing, there is no second hold For whatever reason, this is my preferred breath work. I like this better than box breathing, even though I know objectively box breathing has evidence to support that it's more effective. Uh, Maybe nobody studied it against pranayama. I don't really know, I just know whatever the breath work is that you are going to do is the best one. And this is the one that I do most often. So again, in through your nose, hold your breath, out through your mouth, six counts all around. If you put your hand on your lower belly, it makes it easier to get your breath there because that is where your breath should be going. Only your stomach should move when you inhale, not your chest, not your shoulders. And then on the exhale, which goes out of your mouth, same thing. Use that stomach to push all of the air out. Make sure you empty your lungs completely. So I will count you. In, hold, out. Ready? Inhale. Two, three, four, five, six. Hold your breath. Two, three. Four five six exhale two three four five six inhale two three four five six hold your breath two three four five six exhale two three four five six inhale two three four five six hold your breath Two, three, four, five, six, exhale. Two, three, four, five, six, inhale. Two, three, four, five, six, hold your breath. Two, three, four, five, six, exhale. Two, three, four, five, six, inhale. Two, three, four, five six hold your breath two three four five six exhale two three four five you are done and back to brenda so if you take us back to you've moved back you're with your mom and you're having a series of difficult and disappointing relationships what's next
1: So yeah, I was in Jersey, and I got the opportunity to move to Florida, and I was like, okay, fine. I mean, Jersey hasn't really worked out for me, so I'm
0: gonna,
1: I'm gonna move to Florida. Okay. Um, and it has been a shit show. What?
0: Gee, really? Florida has been a shit show. I'm shocked, Brenda. I know. When did you? When did you get there? How old were you? Twenty-two. Oh, so you've been there for a minute. It's been almost 20 years. It's been like, what, what'd you say? You were 39, yes. so 17 years. Okay, so you got there when you were 22, and it has been a shit show. What's been going on? Um.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of, like, that stuff catching up to me, and, you know, throughout the entire time, I've just been trying to work and go to school at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's you know, a lot of... um. Uh, of that imposter syndrome comes up for me so okay. in these jobs that were like dead ends yeah. um feeling like I wasn't being appreciated feeling almost borderline to the point where it's like I'm having all this conflict at work and I'm outspoken and um I I see things I guess it's my sag view that I'm blunt
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like um, I said sag is just trying to do its own thing I want to just in case other people don't have the same understanding of borderline that you do. They may not know what you mentioned here, so I'm just going to back up for a second. Brenda said, feeling a little borderline, having a lot of conflict at work. One of the markers, and I just, I'll say this again, I know I've said it a bunch. I really try not to spend a lot of time talking about diagnoses because they are generally irrelevant, but the personality disorder's I think it's important to understand the diagnoses because they do point to sort of a different set of expectations and stuff. With that said, like everything else, personality disorders are a spectrum. It's not black and white. So I don't want anybody to get carried away with the diagnostic terminology here. But for the sake of the conversation, the symptomatology that we call borderline personality disorder has a few cornerstones, black and white thinking, easy emotional dysregulation, and... Another one of them is an inability to maintain relationships, whether they're at work, at school, in a job. And so people who suffer a BPD symptomatology often have trouble keeping a job, or if they do, that's very volatile. There's a lot of fighting. They have a lot of fighting with friends. They generally don't stay in relationships for long. So that's what you're referencing. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Now, generally, someone who thinks they're a little borderline isn't. That's kind of part of the way that it works, right? Because, and this is a tricky thing I think we've talked about once before, the symptoms of the cluster B personality disorders, nobody says that anymore but me, I think, but borderline, histrionic, and uh, narcissistic are that the symptoms are syntonic, which means to the person who are suffering, who is suffering the symptoms, they feel right. They don't feel like they're dysfunctional. So if you're feeling it as that, what the fuck is going on that I'm constantly fighting with people? Chances are you don't have BPD, but you, but you make a good point because something I mentioned recently with another guest is almost all of us who grew up in chaotic, traumatizing families have some symptoms of BPD because it's based in being a child in an invalidating environment is, is the, the necessary condition. For the development of BPD along with some more specific traits of the environment and the biological predisposition. So any of us with difficult family environments can find that we present with some of these symptoms. And when you said you were outspoken, so and you said that right around the conflicts at work, meaning that when you think back at these conflicts, you see how maybe you were part of it, right? That, oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what do you think? I have some ideas, but it's more important what the experience was like for you. What do you think that was about? What do you think was happening that you were getting in a lot of heated exchanges with people at work and finding yourself outspoken in that environment? What do you think that was about? I
1: have a, I have trouble with, um, with authority. Of I
0: course, have yeah. Trouble there it is. with
1: people trying to control me. Right.
0: Of course. You and do. I will.
1: Fights, because I am a wild woman.
0: <laughs> hey, look, a Sagittarius in Columbia definitely can make for some wild times. I like it. But yeah,
1: uh, and you, Jersey. And, and Jersey. Jersey, I forgot about Jersey. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I'm from
0: the northeast, so I know all about it. But you make a really good point though because you your dad being the sort of, you know, the, the problematic attachment figure in here, representing, you know, the patriarchy and authority and control and all of that. And you've had some really shitty experiences within that paradigm. So in objecting or arguing with authority in other uh, contexts, you're doing the arguing with your dad that you couldn't do, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Displacement. Okay. So that's happening. So that doesn't feel good. Cause you know, you're having these conflicts at work. Things aren't, things aren't coming together, but you've been doing this for a while. You've been there for a while. So how have you been keeping your head above water?
1: I think I kept myself really busy for a long time. So there's another uh, part. I started going to a therapist about okay. 10 years ago yep. and uh, while talking about, you know, my latest breakup and what happened, um, I was explaining like, oh, yeah, I blacked out and like we were on our first date and I don't even remember like what happened. And he's like, oh, really? Do you black out often? <laughs> this and that. And he was like, oh, yeah, you, you're you an alcoholic. And I was like, that's harsh.
0: I mean, I know. <laughs> you are like, so are you. Yeah, I'm like,
1: what do you mean? It's like a regular Friday night. What yeah. are you talking about? Yep, um, yep. When she said it, it took me years, of course, because nothing's right. that easy. No. Um. So you asked me what I've been doing for all these years. And it feels like it was just a loop of continuous. You know, I, I felt like at one point I felt like I was the person who would always come to my friends talking about my latest drama. Yeah. And they would look at me like. Like poor me, and I think I I got too comfortable in that role. Okay, and I didn't really question like, oh shit, maybe don't drink to the point of blacking out. Yeah, or on a first date. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right, right.
0: (laughs) What could go wrong? I mean,
1: (laughs) come on. So... (laughs) So I stopped drinking. It's been a year and a half.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. It's hard. I don't it's hard. Miss it. I don't miss it. No, that's I, the funny think... thing.
0: Yeah, you don't after a while you don't miss it. I definitely don't miss it in the sense that I don't miss the actual alcohol, but I still in the summers and at other times will miss like the ceremony, you know, mm-hmm. the like going yeah. out and opening a bottle of wine or sitting around and having drinks outside in the summer. Like I miss the stuff. I don't actually miss the alcohol.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was an angry drunk. Oh, were you? Um, okay. Well, yeah. yeah,
0: because the anger had to come out sometime. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep, and yep. then, of course, it was the shame afterwards, oh, right? Yes. Why am I so violent? Why am I so drunk? Why am I so, like, belligerent?
0: Yeah, you know? and that's and the feedback was... loop is, like, we get drunk, and either we feel the shame just because we were drinking or we feel the shame about what we did when we were drunk. And then that mm-hmm. shame contributes to the next time we drink. Because that feeling of not being able to sit with ourselves, of not being able to tolerate ourselves, of wanting to crawl out of our own skin is a big part of why we drink. But then that feeling is exacerbated by the drinking. So we get caught in that cycle, right, going around and around that little shame feedback loop. So that makes it hard to break because I don't know if this was your experience, but the first six weeks of not drinking are very painful emotionally because you don't have the numbing. So you have to actually sit in it, right? Which is most of what addiction is about is distress tolerance. So sitting in that, that discomfort and that pain, which before anybody gets their feelings hurt is not to say that addicts don't have the ability to tolerate distress. It's generally that we have more distress to tolerate, right? And don't have the strategies for it. So those first six weeks are pretty painful, but a year and a half in, that's a really good place to be. So again, congratulations. I'm glad you don't miss it. What did you notice when you stopped? What changed most dramatically?
1: I can, so my memory's pretty shot from like, all of that yeah um so i feel like now it feels like the time has really uh, i i feel like like back when when i was a child in a way like i feel like my mind gets back to oh i'm safe like i don't have to think that i'm gonna go out and you know have unprotected sex or or drive drunk or you know do all the stupid shit that I did or ruin relationships and friendships because I said something that was really fucked up Mm -hmm. I don't remember right um so you know it feels like I'm back to almost when I was proud of myself which was like at 18 kind of like oh yeah I actually, I was thinking of what you've said before, because I really loved the whole, um, I, I think you get referenced this a lot, but the, the who seat. drives the car yeah. and the backseat. This seat. is
0: everybody's favorite is the backseat thing. Yeah. People love that one. Yeah. yeah. It's helpful.
1: It really is. And I feel like my 18 year old,
0: <laughs>
1: um still listening to Blink-182 and. we we like her anyway we like her
0: anyway
1: (laughs) yeah she she tends to to take the wheel so yeah basically right now what I'm experiencing is okay I had all this room for growth, and I've had moments of like breakthrough in therapy I, I started taking medication and it was very necessary I'm not an advocate for every type of medication and I understand the ramifications but for me It was very helpful.
0: It can be. And I want to point out what you just did reflects how much shame is being thrown at people about psych meds these days. Because I think you are not the first person to bring them up and immediately issue those disclaimers. I'm not saying everybody should take them. And I know, you know, because they're so, everybody's got an opinion about everybody else's mental health. And the reality with medication is it's very often misused and it can be a lifesaver. There's no black and white answer to the med question, right? So I just want to acknowledge that I know you're, you're hearing that sort of societal shame around meds because you were so quick to issue those disclaimers. I'm really glad for you that you were able to access it and that it was able to help you because that's what it's for. Nobody's supposed to take it forever, right? It's supposed to be when mm-hmm. you need it so that you can participate in your own healing in a way that you can't when your symptoms are really intense. And it sounds like that was probably just what you needed. Right, a hundred percent. Yeah, so I'm glad. I'm glad I, that worked for you. Yeah. So you are not taking them now, is that right?
1: Um. No. I'm. I'm
0: still taking them. You are. i'm okay. um, Almost at the year mark.
1: So I. So it's.
0: So it's working. Are you in therapy right now?
1: Yes. Okay. I'm in therapy. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And what are you working on in therapy?
1: Um. The relationship. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. So tell me. I tell feel me. like I'm gonna. I'm going to be working on the relationship part for my entire life. Well, we're all um, working on
0: something for our entire life. Are you in a relationship?
1: I am. Okay. I am. Want to, tell um, me about it. So I took a year off of dating after that experience okay. um, to kind of like just really go into recovery and just, um, you know, just spend time for, to myself and uh, figure it out read a ton of self-help self-help books and I have like a million of them which someday I'll read maybe <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah basically I started uh going to meetups um with people who like doing camping and just hiking outdoor stuff that sad part in me is like I just want to be outdoors and um adventure right right so I met uh, like the coordinator and we started just as friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just someone that I knew was safe and super welcoming and never gave me like a weird vibe, just like a really nice guy. Um, okay. So then, you know, feelings started developing and um, one day I acted on them and he welcomed that okay so, <laughs> now we're in a relationship it's been four months
0: oh um, new okay
1: it's new and i am freaking out because <laughs> it is the most <laughs> like normal
0: boring <laughs> um oh that's trouble for trauma people healthy oh boy um, this sounds awful I mean, really? Like, I know. I'm not kidding. I'm do? not kidding. I'm getting nervous <laughs> for you already.
1: I'm like, okay, this is new. Like, we're not binging on alcohol on a Friday. What are you going to do? Uh,
0: we can't. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> for people who had did not have very traumatic childhoods, let me explain. For those of us who have lived with unresolved trauma for a long time, you know, we live in that state of constant fight or flight, otherwise known as hypervigilance. That, that, that feeling of just always waiting for something to happen, you know, expecting that something terrible is going to happen, waiting for the next time you feel like shit, waiting for the next bout of tears, whatever it is, right? We're always waiting for whatever's about to come. What happens to those of us with unresolved trauma when things go really well is that we can't relax. We don't trust it. For one thing, our nervous system is not enjoying it because the nervous system is used to getting pumped stress hormones at a certain rate all day long. And when we start to calm down and stop, the nervous system doesn't know that that's better for us. It's not like, oh, good, she must feel better. It just knows where's my juice, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm used to this much and I'm not getting it. So what our nervous system will do is try to get us to go make more stress hormones by talking us into re-engaging in stressful situations. The thing that I see the most around this, the most common manifestation of this is a client is telling me they've been broken up with a partner for, a week, a month, a year, whatever it is, and they come in and they say, and it was, let's say it was a really difficult relationship. It was hard to get out of. It was a nasty breakup. It's been, you know, weeks or months, everything's been fine. And the client says to me, you know, I really think I need to contact them because I never really got closure. No, you do not. No, you do not need to do anything. First of all, that's not closure. Second of all, that's your nervous system going, you know, it's been real quiet around here. Like, everything's a little too good. I don't trust this, and I'm bored. So I'd really like some hormones. Why don't you call him? You need some closure. Yeah. You know what? Call him. You're going to feel a lot better if you do. I mean, it's just one phone call. It's not a big deal. Like, you just want to see how he's doing. Like, your brain, part of your nervous system, will get in there and convince you to go do something that's going to bring you those hormones. So there's that aspect of it, the nervous system aspect. But then there's just the experiential aspect of it doesn't feel right. You know, the rest of us, too, is like we don't really understand love if it isn't volatile. So if we have a partner who isn't fighting with us, it feels sometimes like they don't care. Right. Like just all of our perspective is off on on how these how these relationships, what the emotional components of attachment are, because they were growing up. They were loneliness and pain and abandonment and confusion. And now as adults, it's anger and jealousy and all of these things. And those are the things that we have attached to connection and attachment and commitment so you get into a relationship like this where things are good and supportive and smooth and it's very confusing right yeah 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 so how have you been managing
1: well i mean i'm i'm thinking of self-sabotaging <laughs> that's i mean i right. just like that's the nervous system yeah.
0: yeah and people are <laughs> like i just must really like drama no honey no you don't like drama it's not that it's just that that's what your nervous system thinks is right That's what it knows as normal. People really put it on themselves like, I'm defective, I like it when things are hard. It isn't about liking it. It's about getting it, knowing it, trusting it, having it feel safe, because ironically, that's what starts to feel safe. It feels very vulnerable to just be happy with no trouble, because then it can all go away. Yeah. It's going to, and invariably, that's what we think. There's no way this lasts. So just sitting there, waiting for the partner to leave, Or, you know what I mean, like the bender to take hold or the parent to blow something up, like sitting there when things are good, just waiting for something to take it away from us is so anxiety producing and so uncomfortable that we just make the trouble ourselves. Right. That's how sabotage works. It isn't because we want to sabotage ourselves. It's because we're uncomfortable. Right. It's just really, really uncomfortable to be in that spot yeah. waiting to lose.
1: And I think there is something like what you just said about my nervous system just being addicted to that. Oh, and, oh that's I mean, 100%
0: think, the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. I think
1: that there's so much to say about me having to be strong and like, courageous and moving away from a situation that was abusive right? and restarting. right? So I think that I kind of do that a lot because if I look at like different relationships, like I've been like, Oh, this is unhealthy. I'm just gonna, I'm I'm just, that, that's it. I'm done. And yeah. I'll blow up my life to go to that point of like, now I'm going to get my shit back in order. Now I'm going to, um, you know, lose weight and right. This cycle of, it's, yes, it's and, like an expanded
0: yeah. abuse cycle of letting yourself get hurt, pulling it back together. Let it, it's like we internalize the abuse cycle inflicted upon us by other people and start to just live within that cycle ourselves. Right. Of damage huh. and repair, damage and repair, damage and repair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to forever. You're not going to forever. I promise. Oh, it's so exhausting. It is so, so exhausting. exhausting. Right? That's one of the things I think people are the least prepared for when their trauma work starts to consolidate is how much energy you get back. Like the amount of energy yeah. it takes for you just to keep your head above water, Brenda. Is more than the average person spends in their day just doing everything. You know, like all of their energy expenditure together is nothing compared to just you know trying to be okay in the course of a day. And I
1: don't, I don't like to look at other people and compare myself. Good, and good. I, I don't like it, but there is a part of me that says, "The fuck have things been so hard?" Right?
0: <laughs> you know, seriously. Why the-
1: Oh, Kevin. Well, so hard.
0: Brenda, here's another, here's another quiz for the people at home. It's not for you. I'm not putting you on the spot. Based on everything we're hearing about Brenda's history and your parents, your first generation. So we are going to assume maybe not fairly, but I'm going to do it anyway, that your mom's childhood was difficult. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Just based on how, you know, your life looked, it would seem that way. So You seem positioned, given the amount of work you're doing, the fact that you started to go down the road of addiction and pulled yourself back into the work, that you had these enmeshing parents that, you know, were an enmeshing mom and an absent dad who have positioned you to sort of do all of the cleanup work. That makes you potentially... I'm waiting for it, Josh. The cycle break. There we go. (laughs) A-plus, pumpkin. Good (laughs) job. Oh. Um, I'm going to ask that we all take a moment to bask in the glory of Josh's recent academic victory. Congratulations, Josh. Um, Because that will transition, segue, whatever the right word is here, nicely into our mindfulness moment. I think that I feel compelled to do a grounding meditation, Um, maybe because there's a lot going on in this episode. So let's Just get grounded, yo. As always, it is ideal if you are sitting with your back straight and your feet on the ground. And for this particular meditation, it is even better if you are barefoot. Not a big deal if you're not. You can ask me why another time. The meditation will take long enough. I'll explain that part later. But for now, just trust me if you can be barefoot and have your bare feet on the On the floor, or even better, on the ground, great. Otherwise, sit with your back straight, close your eyes, and now imagine that a foot in front of you, there is an army of redwood trees. Starting a foot in front of you, all you see are redwood trees to the horizon. And now see that same thing behind you. Really turn your attention to behind your body and about a foot of space before redwood trees as far as you can see. See yourself there in front of you and behind you, leaving you a foot of space. You are completely protected by redwood trees. And now go to your right side. See it and feel it over there, that foot of space, and then, yep, Trees, redwood trees all the way to the horizon. You know what's coming next. Go to your left. Foot of space and redwood trees. Really take the time to see it and feel it and check in with each side again. In front, behind, and on both sides, you have one foot of space and then redwood trees as far as you can see all the way to the horizon. Now, Turn your attention to the soles of your feet. You are going to send roots out from the soles of your feet down deep into the earth, like all the way to the earth's core, roots that go in every direction, to the right, to the left, in front of you. They stretch further than you do. Gripping the earth, really feel those roots there holding you in place. And now take a moment to see yourself there. In your small protected space surrounded by redwood trees, rooted to the earth from the soles of your feet. And now take your attention to your sacrum at the bottom of your spine. You are going to drop all the way down into the earth and anchor on a big cord, a big rope from your sacrum to the earth's core where it anchors you there. And let yourself feel that stillness. That solidness of being anchored and rooted to the earth, protected in every direction by redwood trees. Feel that for a moment. And now go back to the soles of your feet where you have on each foot a portal, a chakra, a little round opening. You're going to dial that nice and wide, nice and open so that you can use those portals to pull up from the earth, the earth's energy. So from those portals in the soles of your feet, you're going to pull the Earth's energy up into your body. The Earth's energy is like the Earth, brown and heavy and warm and slow, and you're going to pull it up through the soles of your feet. And much like when we do the magic Ed meditation and there's the gold light, you can use that same sensation to feel the Earth's energy moving up from the soles of your feet, up through your ankles, feel your body getting warmer in increments, As you pull the earth's energy up to your knees, it's heavy and warm. This brown, slow energy, you're pulling it up through your feet so it's making its way up now past your knees, up through your thighs. If you were doing this on your own, I would recommend you do this much more slowly. I'm gonna move us through it a little bit more quickly, but you still want the sensation to be warm and heavy and slow as we pull that earth and energy up to your hips and your lower abdomen and your lower back. Just keep pulling it up and feel your body getting warmer as you pull the earth's energy up higher. Now you're full up to your chest and your armpits and your shoulders. When you get to your shoulders, let that warm earth drop down your arms to your elbows and eventually to your hands. Feel it making its way down. You're still pulling it up through your feet and now up through your neck and into your chin and your face and ultimately the top of your head. Just keep pulling it up and letting it cycle through you. You're pulling up that warm, slow brown earthen energy through your body and as you're doing so, if there's anything in your body you want to release, pain, anxiety, worry, self-defeating ideas, anything that isn't serving you, send it back out through those portals into the earth. As always, the earth will suck it up, turn it into something good like fertilizer. So you send everything you don't want inside back down as you are pulling up the earth's energy. So take a moment to Feel all of this. You're protected in every direction by redwood trees. You're anchored and rooted to the earth. Your body is filled with slow-moving, warm earthen energy. You've released into the ground what you don't need. Feel yourself there for a moment, and then open your eyes. As I have said the other times we've done this, Ideally, it's much more slow, the progress of the energy up through your body, but I wanted to get through it all and not have it take too much time. And a reminder that this meditation, the grounding meditation, is fantastic for anxiety. Anytime you feel that you want to be grounded, right? You're in your head, you're, <clears throat> excuse me, in that sort of space. I do not recommend this meditation when you feel depressed. And I've had feedback from clients who have used it when they are that support this. It is not the right meditation if you are already feeling low. Okay, so this is one you want to pull you back into your body and ground you when you have sort of lost contact with the earth, not when you are sinking down into yourself. That hopefully makes sense. Um, So let's get back to Brenda. (laughs) That makes you the cycle breaker. And what do we know about cycle breakers? A few things. One of them is that we have to do so much work. Because we're doing the work for four generations behind us and three ahead of us. So seven generations of work, that's what you're doing, right? It's exhausting. It's a lot. But the other thing, or rather and the other thing we know about cycle breakers, is that they have a tremendous amount of power. And that power, we don't, we don't really realize it until we do the work. So you haven't even completely come into yours yet. It's still waiting for you. It's pretty exciting. I mean, you already have it and other people can feel it. I think we just don't really know how to harness it until we do all the work. And you're, you know, you've been working already for a long time and it sounds like you're getting to the point that you're, it's all sort of bottlenecking, right? And there's, it feels to me like there's some really big piece Of trauma work that's right there, that you're right on the edge of. Does it feel like that for you?
1: I think it does.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I think it does. And I think that's the part that kind of scares me. It's
0: terrifying for a number of reasons. Um, Yeah.
1: So, you know, Colombians, and I'll go back to that part of the patriarchy, the colonization, everything with Colombia. And I have this hard time even going on vacation because everything is a fight. I mean, even the small things can't get done because a woman is trying to tell them how to do
0: things. Oh, even that that bad still?
1: Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Okay. It's very aggressive. And thank you, Brenda, for
0: bringing this in because we talk a lot about looking at the different systems, and I wasn't doing that, but this is a great example of that, that the the system above you, the community, the larger system in Colombia is not supportive. It's not no,
1: and it's still very. It's not like Mexico or other places where they're so proud of their heritage.
0: Right in Colombia,
1: it's like the whiter and blonder and greener eyes. You look, the more um, accepted you are. So there's still so the more Spanish part of it, the European part of it. So even that part, I. So there's even
0: a lot of like lateral violence and lateral. So much, yeah.
1: So much violence. So unlearning. All of that bullshit and loving women in a way that now I'm I feel super empowered. Like I Good. do not feel anything against sis- my sisters. Like I love and um celebrate them, and I try to be very different from what I what I learned. The cattiness of it all.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that's
1: another part where I'm very much like incorporating that reframing of oh,
0: this is beautiful. my life. I think this is, Um, yeah, this is something that we haven't talked about with anybody else about rehabbing your relationships with other women, right? That's mm -hmm. a really interesting piece of this. Yes. Yeah. So for instance,
1: I don't like, I I, I don't um, involve myself with on, with married men or good men job. who are in that situation
0: <laughs> good job Brenda good job murky you know <laughs> it's like, a little murky well you I know. learn that what do um, you think I, what do you think the there's a bunch of reasons we could point to about you getting involved with married men but if we look at it just from the perspective of how do how do I want to ask this like I'm not going to ask it. This is just silly. I'm just going to tell you what I'm thinking. So Now I'm looking for a question that doesn't need to be asked. Do you, I'll ask it this way. Was it your experience that part of the attraction of dating married men is that they weren't available? Like there isn't any way you're going to need to be completely vulnerable because that relationship is never going to go that deep. Was that part of it for you? Was it protective against vulnerability or was it more about if I can get this person who isn't, committed to me to be committed then everything's going to feel better. Does it feel like it was more one of those than the other?
1: Yeah, maybe maybe the last one. The last one, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that. Okay. My, I might I mean, it's just more the just open to to clarify. Yeah it wasn't like a married man. It was just those men who uh, break up and then get back. Right. That's what we girlfriend. were saying. Right. <laughs> the sort of like
0: the Ross, we were on a break thing. You're that girl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that okay. girl. Yeah. I want
1: to, because there's a difference. You know, I'm not <laughs> judging. I'm just saying. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. And in um, another part was me really understanding, like, or getting or, or getting more acquainted with that Native American part that yeah some would say oh that's not you and I'm like but you wouldn't know like what's me like I I do um associate and identify with that part even if it was ripped from like what we know in Colombia because in Colombia they're very much you know American television and American pe- like everything is very much. Uh, love for america right right (laughs) um where you know i i have just done some work to kind of disassociate from that brainwashing
0: right 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 wow so brenda what's up front right now like just these days what is the biggest obstacle to you feeling good or what is the place where you feel the most stuck because you've given us this incredible perfect super concise for how much content there is history and so I'm wondering when we started you said you feel stuck in which part of this are you currently stuck
1: okay so as as like with me and who I am and like the social justice warrior and
0: all the stuff that I do
1: that's that's all me. That's, that's 100% me. I've, I'm, I'm coming to terms with the abandonment and trying to find the silver linings to everything that happened and making it, you know, I'm, I'm doing my master's for social work. And I, I really, um, oh, you feel are. Like I'm an advocate. Yes. Excellent. I really feel like I'm Excellent. an advocate Excellent. for, for the people. <laughs> for yeah, me. I believe um, you are. In the relationship, I feel nervous because of everything you said, but also because this person has a ton of grief and a ton of trauma. Okay. Um, And it's difficult for me to navigate because of a cultural thing and because the person might not be open to therapy the way that I am.
0: Right. So I don't
1: know if at this point it's one of those situations where the person's just not available, even though they told me they were available. Right. Right. Um, right. And I just kind of need to keep going with my growth without them, or you know, and and it's hard for me because yes, in recovery, I I started learning how to be on my own and started building these relationships with like-minded women who are like my my rocks there i love them but you know now with this romantic situation where so much of that um void gets filled i i'm feeling a little nervous that i'm missing the red flags again okay or that i'm talking myself out of the red flags because I keep thinking that it's really my self-sabotage when it in fact is the real red flag. Okay,
0: yes, yes. Let's break this down. So I am going to change the language only because of my own personal thing with the phrase red flag. I think the way you're using it, it makes perfect sense, and I agree with you. The way that a lot of people use red flag is this idea that there's a behavior that you spot in someone and it's immediately a warning. And I think that that's a thing we can all do away with, taking things that far out of context and oversimplifying them. But I hear what you're saying, which is a little different, which is that, and you said this actually in the second way that you said it, you are catching yourself potentially using your brain To talk yourself out of things that your body already knows. That's what I think you're telling me, right? Yeah. That that you pick up on something and you're referring to it as a red flag, but the reason I'm changing the phraseology is because I don't think all red flags are real, but what you are experiencing is very real, which is a signal from your body that something is wrong. Right. I'm going to give an example of this because I think this is what you're talking about. I also think it'll be helpful to the people you are listening. But if this isn't what you mean, tell me, because I want to make sure I I am exactly on what you're saying. But the way that I'm hearing it is your body just knows something and then you try to talk yourself out of it. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: But, you know, with my body telling me something because I don't trust, I guess I don't trust my body. Exactly.
0: Yeah exactly there it is you just nailed it because we don't trust our bodies right yeah so in the relationship what that looks like for you is not being able to decipher if something feels good or bad right right not right not knowing if you're reacting to something because you're triggered or if you're reacting to something because it's really problematic or if you're right
1: dysfunction dysfunction has been so normalized in my brain
0: perfectly said
1: When it shows up, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. I mean, things are hard. Everything's hard and complex. And this is just the way it is. I can't ask for my needs to be met. This is what it is. And you have to deal with it. Yep. Fuck. I just said that out loud. And now it makes sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. That's. This is one of the reasons that talk therapy does work, by the way. I shit on talk therapy a lot, even though I spend like 80 percent of my time doing it Um, because it doesn't resolve trauma. But it helps a whole lot because so many of us realize these things when we're talking about them like you just did. Right. Yeah. You hear yourself say it and it's like, oh, there it is. So are you comfortable giving me some specific examples of how this is coming up for you in your relationship?
1: Yes. So, like I, I mentioned, I'm, I'm living with my mom, and, you know, I'm not trying to be like all societal and like, oh, I shouldn't be living with my mom. Like, fuck that. Like, Florida housing market, enough said. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, right.
1: you know, he uh, lost his wife 10 years ago um, to a tragic accident.
0: Oh. Okay. And
1: they were. Um, just recently married when it happened oh god so it's like the worst thing it's a
0: horrible um
1: story, huh? yeah it's a horrible story so when you go into the room he still has the roses that he's had for 10 years just dry full of dust mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a mausoleum of memories to her yeah. I mean there are pictures of her there's um yeah. just a lot of and when I ask him about, you know, have you done grief therapy and things like that, it's basically like, that's why hiking and that's why I do all these things that I do.
0: Oh, so
1: yeah. I don't know. And I, I have ma- mentioned it to him, that I'm not looking to, like for an emotional uh, unavailable man um, yeah. because he's grieving. And of course, he'll say that that's not the case. But, you know, I do feel like I'm not being chosen here. You know, like I'm.
0: Do you, feel like, do you feel like you're not being chosen because of ways that he treats you or do you feel like you're not being chosen because he still has uh, tangible memories in the, in his home of his ex?
1: Yeah, just tangible memories and like conversations. For instance, one day we were just talking about um, what, we, what we are going to do once we die, right? Yep. So uh, he was just like, yeah, I already told my best friend that I want my ashes um, thrown in South Beach with my wife. And I was just like,
0: okay. I mean, yeah, it felt exclusive. Like, yeah, uh, no, absolutely, being... absolutely. That 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 the, 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 that the fate of your lives is not going to be together, right? Like that. This ends with him going back to her. Yeah, right. And
1: you know, it's not like I really think of like afterlife, where I was like even con- contemplating this stuff. He's an older man; he's fifty-two, and I'm, you know, I mean,
0: yeah, he's thirteen um, years older. It's not, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And he's already had this life experience with grief and stuff. And and I I get that part. I'm not trying to be like, oh, well, I need to be more than his wife. But like, if you're committed to a relationship, I need to feel like it's separate. You know, like I have my own, I have my own space. And if he's not willing to do the therapy part, because it's obvious that he hasn't really grieved, um, then I really don't know what I'm doing. Okay, And it's one of those situations where he's become such a good friend and I wouldn't want to hurt him, you know?
0: Let me tell you something you already know, which is that this is very tricky because there's a few things here that are very difficult to... Well, there's a few things here that kind of um, intersect in ways that are hard to separate out the strands. What I mean by that is... First thing you said, I feel like I'm not being chosen. And something I have mentioned before, I think, I know I say it to clients a lot, and I'm fairly certain I've said it here on the podcast, but for those of us who did not get loved the way we needed to by our parents, and in your case, I'm referring most specifically to your dad, right, who was not there for you, who was not a solid, consistent attachment figure for you. Those of us who have a parent who doesn't choose us, have this burning, desperate need to be chosen by our partners to the point that it can really obscure our own needs and wants. I mean, I married somebody in my 20s because I just wanted him to pick me. I didn't even think about whether or not I wanted to marry him. I just was so (laughs) fixated for so many years on getting him to choose me. And then he did. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't (laughs) really want to do this. Glad you chose me, buddy. Put him out. It was real cute. But It is this burning need, you even use the language, right, that I'm not being chosen. So we're going to take that and we're going to put that over here for a minute. I'm sort of pushing that to the right of me. Now we're going to go back to your partner and his loss. And so 10 years ago... He lost someone he had just married. He has been taking care of himself in sort of standard self-care ways, doing some like, you know, some spending time outside, exercise, all of the things that are really important holistically to sustaining our wellness. However, to your point, there hasn't been grief and trauma work and losing someone in an accident unexpectedly is almost always traumatic. So we can maybe assume that he's got trauma work to do or at least complicated grief work. So there's that. And then the way that this is showing up for you is that he still has, I like this phrase used, mausoleum of memories. That's really some Lovely phraseology. Nicely done. I'm uh, Seriously, I'm real fixated. You can smell the mothballs with Oh, that. and another M, too. It's so beautiful. It's like alliterative and multi-senses here. I love it. Good job. It's like word porn for me. I could talk about that phrase all day. The mo- mothball-smelling mausoleum of memories. Mausoleum of memories is a great band name. Or an album name, at least. Okay, sorry. So you've got this. Now... One of the things that was coming up for me when I listened to this, and I have no idea who it was who said this, but I'm remembering a woman talking about a situation in which her partner had a dead ex and saying that she felt like she was competing with a ghost, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. the dead person, especially. When the grief work hasn't been done, dead people tend to be sort of idealized and held in the memory of the person who has lost them as only their good parts, right? It's often a signal to those of us doing the grief work that they haven't been all the way through it yet. Once you get through the grief work on losing someone, you can see them in their whole three-dimensional glory again. You know, like, oh my God, I loved that guy so much. And also... There were times when I wanted to fucking kill him. And, you know, his mother was a real pain in my ass. Or you know, people get a more tempered, balanced view. But when they haven't done that grief work, they tend to hold the person in this idealized, idolized space. And they're sort of untouchable, which leaves the human partner feeling pretty shitty in comparison. I'm never going to measure up to this person who can't do anything wrong now. Right? A hundred percent. Right. So that is part of the experience is really, really challenging. Under normal circumstances, the first thing I would say here is that this sounds like a really beautiful, and like I said, under normal circumstances, which these aren't, so wait for it. This sounds like a really beautiful opportunity to work through some less often explored ideas about how much can we love what happens when a loved person is lost, and how can we hold them and still have room for other people? and what does it mean to like, how can you respect this relationship and not feel like it in, in, you know like it, it interferes with yours? Like there's all sorts of really beautiful work that can be done here. And it would involve him doing his own work, you doing your own work, the two of you working together. What I'm wondering about is, and this is the part that I said, you know, this makes the circumstances a little different, is that listening to your story and to your history, And maybe I'm projecting here. This might be counter transference. I have this really strong like feeling right now. Like I want you to have someone who can completely focus on you. Right. Like I want you to have a partner where you don't have to feel like you need to do this work. You've done enough work. And I don't know that that's the right thing to tell you. I just want to tell you that's what's coming up for me. Right. Is that it seems like you've been working so hard to get yourself healthy and it would be really lovely If that could be supported in a relationship in which the other person maybe had done more work or didn't have this big piece of work, you know, so that more of it could be around just the two of you growing and what you needed for support. Do you think that that's real for you? Does it feel to you like that's part of what's hard about this is that it would just be easier to be in a relationship that you didn't have to deal with this? Like, is that part of it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I really do see it as even the small not they're not small I mean because I, I told you that big part of me wanting to be in a social advocate and this person is not quite that I mean oh. he's one of those people who tell me that he doesn't vote because there's no point
0: to be a, is he white
1: no he's Vietnamese
0: oh really Oh, because I was going to say a white man who doesn't vote just makes me want to punch him in the face. But he's not. He's oh, my not God. White. No, okay. no, no.
1: I've done my work. Oh. I'm trying not to be <laughs> oh white men. Sorry. Sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, we have to take a break here. That was very funny. My stomach hurts a little. OK, let's do the same tension release that we did last time. We're going to tense and release some muscles in the face and shoulders and loosen everything up and release some tension. So first, go up to your eyebrows and lift them up as high as you can. Raise your eyebrows as hard and high as you can. Make it almost hurt a little, strain, strain, and release them. Good. Now, squeeze your eyes shut as tightly as you can. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Squeeze them shot. Squeeze them shot. Squeeze them shot. Let them go. And clench your jaw as tightly as you can. Clench it, clench it, clench clench, clench And now release it. Let it go. Good. Now pull your shoulders up to your ears. Pull them up, pull them up, pull them up. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And release. Good. Now we're going to roll our shoulders back, but keep going. Just a continuous roll from front to back and back around. So roll your shoulders back, do it again, again. This will be the fourth one, four, we're gonna do six, five, really push them back, six, let it kind of crackle. There you go, well, mine are crackling anyway. Now roll forward and roll them forward. That's one, two, Three, four, five, six. Good. Now raise your shoulders up toward your ears again. I don't know what I just said. Ears. Crispy R's. Raise your shoulders up toward your ears, ears and drop them. Drop your head to the front. Let your head hang. Drop it to the right side. Let it hang. To the left side. Let it hang. Drop it back. Let it hang. Shake your arms out. Let's wrap it up with Brenda. No, I mean, you know, as a strong
1: Latina woman, I, I really do want to, um, you know, it, it's it's important for me to kind of like go. My dad would use phrases like you need to better the race when he talked about who I should date. Oh my! Goodness. And by that, he means dating a white man.
0: Really? All of this internalized racism. My goodness. This is and sexism. in, Col- in Columbia, and huh? sexism in Colombia. Yeah. And sexism. Oh, yeah.
1: Women are just there for the pleasure of man.
0: Ugh. And the and the and the stuff about the racial stuff I meant to say, I realize some people may not be familiar with the phrases lateral oppression or lateral violence. And so just for the people who aren't lateral oppression works like this. Let's say, well, we're talking in Colum- you were talking about people in Colombia giving more. It's sort of more status to be lighter right? The yeah. darker you are, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's bad. So if we're talking about a group of people, a group we're going to say, we're talking about brown people who are being pushed down on by white people, right? So the white people are above the brown people pushing down on them. Well, when you're being pushed down on and you don't have the social agency, the resources, the power to push back up, what will often happen is you push out to the side. So what that means is the brown people are pressing each other. Right. So the white people pressing down on the brown people who are turning to each other and going, I'm lighter than you. I'm better. I can't push back on the white people. So I'm just going to go to what's next to me. Women do it to each other. All sorts of marginalized groups do it to each other. And that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. And the internalized racism of you need to better the race with white men, the internalized sexism of all of the stuff about women. You're just here to be used by men, et cetera. Right. All of this is factoring into all of this is weighing on your own. Relational experiences. Beautifully said. Jesus. A, you're welcome. I was I was listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a pretty it's interesting a place. It's a lot. We... I love Colombia. It's a gorgeous country. I bet. but we got ton of trauma work. You sure do.
0: do. Tell me what is in. Tell me what is working for you in this relationship. What are the things about it that are supportive to the work that you're doing?
1: So like I said, I was, I was really interested in that person who would just be like, Hey, let's go, let's go camping. Let's go on an adventure. Let's go bike riding. Let's do all this fun stuff. And who's really, um, into like, Hey, let me cook for you. Let me help you. Let's let me set up a tent for you. Like, let me, you know, look like it was nice to have someone kind of come in and, and, help me mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. and you know show me that it was that day I wasn't asking for too much that to the right person he would just offer it yeah like, that he was joining it, with
0: you that he wanted to be a part of these things with exactly yeah.
1: he's he's that person who will have like my coffee first thing in the morning in the campsite like oh, it's
0: acts of service love language
1: exactly yeah that's, um, that's my favorite one Yeah. So, you know, and, and just the person who's like, oh, I'm down for that. Like, let's, let's go, let's go at night to Shark Valley, which is like out in the Everglades with a ton of gators in the dark. And it's fun (laughs) for us. Um, (laughs) I mean, so those types of things were really nice, but the further I I go in his life, the, the more I'm noticing that, you know, it's, it's like that's where he's stuck and I I like you said I don't know if I want to do all the work yeah um and convince him that it's worth doing
0: and yeah convince him that it's worth doing seems maybe not like a task you'd want to take on right now I can understand that I can understand that um and it's been four months you said yeah how much time do you spend together
1: a lot. Okay. A lot, a lot. A lot, yeah. a lot,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: We live close by, so it's easy for me to just not want to be, like, with my mom and just go to his house and So the, hang there's out. a little
0: bit of an escape that he provides yes. for you right now. Yes, And that feels, yes. okay, that's pretty important, too. Well, just because I can't help myself, when's his birthday?
1: Oh, he's a Libra. He's oh, um, September 28.
0: Oh, he's an yeah. early Libra. Okay. My dad, my sister, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law are all Libras. I've got male Libras all over the place. Um, one of the things about Libras that male Libras that I find very challenging, and I'm curious to see if this tracks with your experience because it would definitely add a layer to what we're talking about here specifically. In my experience with the Libra men in my life, Libra Sun men in my life, every single one of them, will offer as much intimacy to a casual acquaintance as they will to a partner. They give the same amount to everyone, which is to say they're very generous and very open and very giving. And I, they, they don't seem to go really deep in intimacy with partners mm. any more so than they do with, like, friends.
1: That's so true. Right. Yes, I maybe know. that's the part where it's driving me crazy. I think like, like, it might so be. Deep, yeah, it's so
0: deep, dude. Yeah, that's, what I'm, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking is that part of this seems to be a characterological Libra son thing for me, like that it's just, and they're almost averse to taking it too deep. You know, like yeah. I've said this before on the podcast, if I start, one of my father's favorite dissociative techniques is falling asleep. And if I start to talk to him about the stuff my mom did when I was growing up, because he worked a lot and wasn't around, he falls asleep. I'll be like, you know, every time I said this, mom would hit and I'd get as far as hit and I look over and he's snoring because he just can't tolerate it. He doesn't want to go that deep. And he will also I'm using him as the example, but all of the Libra men I'm talking about do this. My brother-in-law, my father-in-law, others that I know that I've worked with. They want to tell you nothing's that bad. Like, I'll, they, they want things to be positive in such a deep way that they will just tell you something is good when it's not. Like, my dad will yeah. be like, I've used this example before. We went to visit my sister once, and she was a monster the entire time. And she was pissed that we didn't stay longer. And when we got back to my dad's house, he looked at me. He's like, Nicole was really glad to see us, huh? I was like, were <laughs> you there? No. Or, like, if I tell him, I've talked to him about this a lot, and it's changing, but if he asks me how I am... And I'm one of those obnoxious people who answers that question, honestly, always. So if he sends me a text and he's like, how are you? And I'll be like, well, it's been a really difficult week. He'll write back and go, well, but at least you've got a good place to live. It's like, what are you even talking about? Like, it's just hard for them to go to the darkness. A hundred percent. So here's what I'm wondering. It's been four months, and there's a lot of positive things. You guys really enjoy each other. It's a good escape. You're learning what a lot of your boundaries need to be in relationships around what you need versus what the other person needs. Something that's been coming up a lot in conversations with clients in my office, and maybe that's why it's in the front of my head, is this idea. I'm trying to remember where I got this idea because it did not come to me on my own. I want to say... It's Todd Barretts, who has an account on Instagram called Your Diet Nonsense, and he is a sex and relationship therapist based in New York and L.A. He's fucking brilliant and really funny, and part of the reason I love him is because he's a real straight talker. None of that goopy therapy talk, just like... And a lot of his uh, posts are like, stop doing this, and it's a list of things that he's telling people not to do, which is just a funny take on, you know, the positive language of psychology, but pretty sure it was he who introduced me to the idea that... Culturally, we judge the success of a relationship by how long it lasts, when in fact, some of the most important relationships we will have with people won't be forever and won't even necessarily be for a long time. And so maybe if for right now, we just hold this relationship in the space of right now, it's providing some safety, some support, some consistency and some fun. It's also providing some challenges to you about where your boundaries are and what you need, and that seems like that's okay right now. Right?
1: Mm. It might You know be. that that just just drives my whole Sabota- sabotage, burn <laughs> it to the ground. Kind it of does, like. doesn't it? It's amazing. You just the match already. <laughs> I know.
0: That's why I did it. Sorry about that. I should have warned you. I'm gonna blow it all up. But yeah, I mean, if you just hold it in that space where it doesn't have to be anything other than what it is right now. And when people say to me, like, well, how do I know when I should get out of a relationship? Well, I don't fucking know. That's for sure. But what I, I love to tell people things when I don't have an answer. So what I say is, I think that, The time when it makes the most sense to consider leaving a relationship is when what the relationship needs is in direct conflict with what you need. That's it, right? So if being in this relationship means that you aren't growing in the ways you want to grow, you're not accessing the experiences you want to access, you're not bringing online the parts of yourself you want to bring online, that's when it would really be time to think about, like, even though this is fun, maybe I should dip. Right. But if it's if it's providing support to you bringing parts of yourself online and broadening your scope of experiences within relationship and stuff and it feels good, it doesn't seem to me that there's any urgency to evaluate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not in your body, so I don't know what it feels like. It's real easy for me to like spew advice, you know, and I haven't met him and I don't know. But I being a social justice warrior with someone who doesn't vote is not not workable, but sounds pretty frustrating. (laughs)
1: you know thank you for putting an entire relationship in that one sentence. (laughs) that one really does feel like that would be it like that would be like why are you even that
0: (laughs) but it doesn't mean that that's not a place where there's growth for you two and maybe he changes his mind and maybe there are conversations about it I mean but that's the other thing with if I'm stereotyping a Libra like does he want to talk about it no no right I'm assuming that I'm not assuming you said you're talking about being codependent with your mom, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, understandable. And to remind everybody, codependent refers to putting other people's needs ahead of your own, sometimes in a somewhat controlling way. The example I used is that I can get codependent with certain clients if they have really high needs and maybe I'm responding to them when I have other things to do or I'm not holding boundaries around contact and I'm maybe giving, I I hate the phrase giving too much, it never feels right to me, but for the sake of the conversation, maybe I'm giving too much, what happens is that if I recommend something and they don't do it, I get mad that's a good sign that you're being codependent, right? Is that you're giving yeah. so much that when the person doesn't do what you want, you get a little controlling and mad about it because it's like, I'm emptying myself out for you. The least you could do is do what I say, sort of feeling, you know? Um, sort of like all of Josh's relationships. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> Do you have codependent behaviors coming up in the romantic relationship? Oh, yeah. Okay, tell me. Give me an example. <laughs> like, oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, for instance, I shared, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and he just looked at me, and he's like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, um, God. So I got that. I got I'm um, so Cute? Cute? Yeah,
0: I, I, you, I yeah. love when my passion is infantilized. I wub you. I wub you. I, exactly. No. I wub you too. <laughs> Did he pat you on the head after? Oh man.
1: That's exactly what I said.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm like oh, oh, I'm gonna be patting the head next. Yeah. Um yeah, that was
0: oh, that was sorry. a hard
1: one. Yeah, that's I thought we were going to break up with that one. But we so, didn't. So um, more, you mean
0: codependent. So more in a general sense, it feels like in the relationship where you're accepting not having your needs met.
1: Exactly. Oh, which okay. is a very um, familiar place for yeah, me. Yeah, I bet. Um, I
0: bet. What how is it with mom these days? triggering <laughs> <laughs> tell
1: me tell me triggering because you know um we when we start liking someone and it's and it, it happens like with our meshment. of course when right, I'm dating right. someone she feels like she's dating that person like oh, she boy. kind of judges him mm, for not like yep. thinking of her and taking her out to dinner oh my and, god like, really <laughs> <laughs> oh colombian moms i was are just about to say this breed. is cultural isn't
0: it yeah um yeah. they're
1: special breed oh, like that's what? he didn't even think of and me he, do- does he, he,
0: he doesn't understand those cultural norms does he because those don't sound no. like they're vietnamese ones no, so yeah, yeah not at all yeah. not at all
1: um like i asked him the other day i'm like when's your dad's birthday he's like i don't know i'm like what 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 so odd um yeah, yeah, I I don't understand. But anyway, that doesn't that doesn't fly in a Colombian house. Like it's no, like okay. wherever you go eat, you think of bringing your mom like a pastry or some plate. Like she knows that she knows that you were thinking of her, kind of thing. Um and she has a mother wound some some really nasty stuff. So when you said she had a hard childhood, yeah. oh you you're absolutely right. I'm sure. So a lot of it is like up to me to kind of make right in her head um you know all the sacrifices she's made
0: and all that stuff oh gosh brenda what would would she be able to live on her own
1: yeah um we've talked about it you know i i have these moments where i'm like fuck florida fuck this red state i need to leave i can't stay here anymore this is just ridiculous and I mean, I hear, I hear Florida,
0: and I do want to come in with a chopper and a rope ladder and pull you right up out of there. Just please, you know,
1: (laughs) get to the chopper, like, just do it. Like I'll be out in the front. Like, just please come pick me up. Um, I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah. So, um, but you know, she's comfortable here and I, I she's all I've got. Like once my mom goes, I don't family, have, right? I don't have good relationship with my other siblings. They're fucked up. They're even worse fucked up than I am. Cause okay. they were more, you're, but they were, you're, you're not if we're in the competition up. of, if we're in the competition of who was most abandoned, they win. Yeah, right. Right, um, <laughs> right. So, cause at least I had my mom where they didn't. So Such a yeah. bummer
0: thing about winning that is there's no prize.
1: <laughs> just, not just like a whole bunch of like trauma poop exactly in my lap, exactly you know? yeah um but yeah so, so she's, I, all,
0: she's your family
1: she's my family she's yep. my best friend she's like everything is it um, possible
0: for you to have appropriate boundaries or I mean I'm not talking about her saying like he didn't bring me somewhere because that's just you know she's going to say stuff and that doesn't necessarily have to be a problem if you. If you're not internalizing it or bothered by it, but are you able to give the time and attention to yourself and your own life that you need and want to while living with her?
1: Uh, If you're getting at maybe I should move out, you. I'm getting at (laughs) maybe you should
0: move out, and if you don't, are there ways to make it so that you feel more independent while living with her? Is what I'm getting at. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Is yeah. it
0: possible to and, no? No. It's not. So that's no. why you probably need to move, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe um, also
0: just for the relationship. You know, if we think about it, from of course it would be better for you, and then where the codependency and not only codependency, but just loyalty to family and compassion comes up around. Well, it might be better for you, but would it be terrible for your mom? Considering that you and your mom only have each other, it seems to me that any move that would improve the relationship is better for both of you, right? And yeah. that she may get better, different time from you if you aren't living with her.
1: I, I think so.
0: And it doesn't have to be because everything's so terrible you can't... It's not. It doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be that living with mom is unbearable for you to decide that the best decision for you is to move out, right?
1: I know, and it's such a hard... Like, it's tangible communication that says I can do this like yeah. I I'm fine like I I can do this I'm able and I'm ready and I think that it you know in 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 her experience it might sound like I'm I don't want to be with you when right. it's more about I'm ready to be on my own
0: right you know yes 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 where yes.
1: it's empowering and strength strength based does she as know the difference to-
0: between those two things? Have no, you said it to her that I, way? I, I don't,
1: I, don't, I, I mean, I, I I really, I don't think she listens. I think she wants to hear what she wants to <laughs> yeah, hear. Yeah, fair, um, yeah. And I don't know if that's really come across, but yeah. I think I, I'm ready to communicate that. Does she have I, I friends? Do,
0: does she have other people in her life?
1: Yes. Okay, good, yes, good,
0: good, good, good. She good. does. Oh, well, yeah. in that case, yeah, that rounds it out a little for me. I mean, you're not her only touchstone. Right. This sounds... Like, I feel for both of you, you know, you guys have sort of been through a war together. Yeah. And and that loyalty can be really confusing because it feels like you're abandoning. And again, remember, adults can't be abandoned by other adults. It's just that it feels that way. Right. It feels like you're abandoning her. It feels like you're, you know, not holding up sort of your end of the deal. Right. That you guys went through this together are going to survive it together. All of those things, you know, it can be both. It can feel that way. And you can still decide that it's what you want and need. Like, it probably yeah. isn't going to get to the point where you feel 100% great about it, you know? No. This, I mean, I, I'm a, once again going to do what I do often is tell you something you already know. This is quite a story. Like, you're really, you've, this is a lot, and you kind of sound like a rock star right now. So I feel pretty confident that you're going to make the decision and it's going to work, whatever it is. Because it, there's Thank a you. lot that's going really well. From from what I can hear in terms of how you're functioning, how you're thinking about things, how you're processing and how you're working on really turning toward yourself. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I think maybe part of the reason it feels so crazy making right now is because you're on the precipice of all these decisions and all this potential change. Yeah. But but you sound real lucid to me, Brenda. Thank you. This has been really, really awesome. Thank you so much. Is there anything you wanted to talk about today that we haven't talked about?
1: No, I, I think we went through
0: the gamut. Thank, <laughs> thanks to you, we did. We definitely did.
1: Thank you so much for, for this. I mean, honestly, like, I am so excited when I see a new episode. and oh,
0: Thank you for telling me that. I'm not going to lie, Josh and I get super giddy still anytime anybody tells us they like the podcast. Like, we are not beyond that, so we will suck up any of the compliments and love we can get for it because it's definitely a passion project. So, And thank you. This was really great, Brenda. I'm so glad you came on. I look forward to talking to you again, and you and I will definitely find some time to do that soon. Thank
1: you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Josh.
0: Enjoy the rest of your weekend, Brenda. You too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. You You have been listening to psychotherapist two quick things before we go remember that if you would like to be a guest on the podcast you can just email us at the psychotherapist podcast at gmail.com or you can dm me on instagram psycho underscore therapist underscore renee likewise if you would like to be on the waiting list for the next psychotherapist retreat in november send us an email or dm me see you next week